Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture passage today is Romans 6, 12 to 19. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Romans is a monumental book of the Bible. One scholar says, In the whole of Scripture, the brightest and most lustrous collection of jewels is the Epistle to the Romans. Romans has been called the Mount Everest of the New Testament. The verses we have before us are a privilege and joy to possess. These truths need to be considered carefully, pondered, and obeyed. They are able to transform us deeply from within. Sadly, there are professing Christians who have no interest in these things, no emotional resonance with what God is trying to teach us in the book of Romans. What many get excited about today is a new CD or a new outfit from the mall. We are interested in losing five pounds or watching a football game. We get excited about adding a room to the house or buying a new car or computer. To all of us, I plead with the Apostle Paul, Wake up, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Ephesians 5.14 Friends, too often we are like the person who goes to the Grand Canyon 
and has with him a little garden shovel in his hand, and on the precipice of that stunning majesty, turns his back to the canyon, kneels down, and digs a little trough with his shovel, and shouts, Hey, look at this! Look at my trough! Isn't this cool? There are many pressing and desirable things in this life that seem very important, but just a little clear-headed thought will show you that they are not. We must get up and turn around and look at the splendor and majesty of the canyon. What is truly important in life? Not a new computer or iPhone, not Twitter or instant messaging, not what's playing on TV or social media, or my car, or my house, or my possessions. All of these things are destined to perish. What is truly important is what God says in his holy word. God tells us how to be dead to sin and alive to him and how to allow Christ to be true master and Lord and live in the good of his kingdom resulting in everlasting life. God calls us as human beings to something truly great. Let's be sure We are focusing on that greatness and not spending our life on trifles and distractions. One helpful way to understand this wonderful passage from Romans is to see it as a great battlefield. This idea comes from John Bunyan's book, Holy War, in which he describes the battle for man's soul and employs the imagery of a castle and a battlefield. Let's use Bunyan's idea and apply it to these verses in Romans. What are the elements of the battle? First, there is a kingly throne or reign. Verse 12 says, do not let sin reign. The word reign is simply the verb form of the word for king. Second, there is a challenger to the king, a rebel who wants to take over the throne of the kingdom, namely sin. Do not let sin reign. So the rebel's sin is in revolt against God and seeking to lead a coup and gain the throne. And the believer must resist. Third, there is a castle under attack by the challenger to the throne, namely your body. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Fourth, there are servants in the castle who may become deceptive secret agents of the rebel leader and use their inside servant role to seduce and capture parts of the castle. These servants are called desires. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its desires. Now notice that the desires are neutral. They may become evil desires or lusts, but not if the rebel sin does not capture them. Fifth, incremental surrender is possible. That's what this word obey signals in verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. If sin, the leader of the revolt, takes some desire captive and sends it behind the castle walls with a deceptive promise of immunity and reward for capitulation, the obedience to that desire will be the surrender of part of the castle. 
Sixth, there are weapons in the castle that may be captured and turned around and used by the enemy for his unrighteous purposes. These weapons are the parts of your body, your eyes and ears and tongue and hands and feet and reproductive organs. Verse 13, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. The word instruments, in all these uses of the New Testament, three in Paul and one in John, means weapons, not just instruments. In other words, this battle metaphor is real. Paul is pointing to it. Don't let the rebel sin capture the members of your body and turn them into weapons against the true king. Seventh, there is a true king over the realm whose name is God. Verse 13b, do not surrender the members of your body to sin, the rebel contender for the throne, so that he can make them weapons of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as weapons of righteousness to God. So the true king is God. Sin is the rebel and the insurrectionist, Stay loyal to the true king with all your weapons and all your servants, all your desires and all your bodily members. Eighth, and finally, there is the constitutional authority of the kingdom, namely grace, not law. Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, let's look at these elements of the battle and describe them more fully. First, God is our king. To him belongs the castle of the body and the service of our desires and the weapons of our members and the throne of the kingdom. The call here is for us to be loyal to our king. God made us alive and made us his dwelling place through Jesus Christ. Keep trusting him. Keep depending upon him and submitting to him. Resist all contenders for the throne of your life. It belongs to God. We must see sin as a power, not just an act. Verse 12 says, Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Sin threatens to reign. It is not just the acts we do, but the power that takes us captive through desires and brings the actions about. How are we to understand our desires? The desires of the body are not sin in and of themselves, but are servants of the body and can be captured by the rebel leader sin and made into internal enemy agents that seduce us into handing over members of our body that become weapons of unrighteousness. Verse 12 says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. The word its refers to the body, not sin. In other words, the desires of the body can be captured by the power of sin and made to serve anti-God aims. Parts of your body can be captured by Judas-like servant desires and handed over to the enemy for unrighteous acts. When our desires are faithful and loyal desires, reflecting the truth and purpose of God, 
then we may encourage and follow them. But if sin captures our desires and makes them his deceptive agents, then our pleasing them would be joining the conspiracy against God. We become guilty of treason. Take the desire for food. Hunger serves us well, for it keeps us sustaining our bodies with nourishment. But when sin captures it, it becomes gluttony or bulimia or anorexia, and it rules us for the sake of the enemy, and our tongue and our mouth and our stomach become weapons of unrighteousness. The desire for drink, thirst, serves us well, for it drives us to hydrate our bodies. But when sin captures it, the desire may become alcoholism, drunkenness, or caffeine addiction, and thirst becomes a weapon of unrighteousness. The desire for sexual satisfaction is a good servant of procreation and marriage joy. But if sin captures it, the desire becomes lust for pornography or masturbation or fornication or adultery or homosexual relations, and our reproductive organs become the weapons of unrighteousness. The desire for sleep and rest serves us well, for it restores our bodies to full function. But if sin captures it, the desire becomes sloth and laziness, one of the deadly sins. So how do we fight and win this battle? Some Christians advise just say no. This works about as well as jumping into the Atlantic Ocean and thinking I can swim unassisted from Boston to London. Sin is too powerful. Our desires are too strong and misguided. The first step in fighting the battle against sin is to understand how the devil works. How do the desires that the devil captures and turns into betrayers turn us into slaves of sin? The devil does this by making obedience to the Judas desires seem very rewarding. Satan lies to us with half-truths. It will feel good. It will bring you pleasure. Obeying Judas desires does feel good, but only for a short time. Then later comes the misery, destruction, and heartache. Hebrews 11.25 speaks of the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable, but at an awful, awful price. Judas' desires are also very deceitful. Ephesians 4.22 says that our old man is corrupt by the desires of deceit. Sin takes our desires and makes liars out of them. Misguided desires promise satisfaction and happiness and only deliver cheap, fleeting, shallow stimulation. They promise fulfillment that leaves us less content and less peaceful. We become guilty, restless, and discouraged. We end up being enslaved. In the end, if we don't fight the way this text tells us to fight, we may be cut off forever from God in hell. This is a serious project with serious consequences. That's why Romans 6.21 says the outcome or the wages of these things is death. 
And that's why 1 Peter 2.11 says, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. There is a war for the soul going on. Sin is fighting for the throne of your soul. It is using your desires as betrayers, and it is turning your members into weapons of unrighteousness. The second step in fighting the battle against sin is to consider the facts of what God has done for you in Christ. Paul doesn't teach us how to do battle with sin until we have fully understood how Christ defeated sin on the cross. Justification by faith is the foundation for doing battle with sin. The only sin that you can defeat in practice is a sin that Christ has died for. Now we must follow Paul's argument very carefully in order to understand. Look at verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. What does this mean? It means that when Christ died to sin, he bore sin's penalty. He took upon himself our sins and their penalty, which is death. This is the same way in which we, by union with Christ, have died to sin. We have died to sin because in Christ we have borne its penalty. Our old life has finished and a new life has begun. We learned last week that Romans 6.6 is the key to this whole project. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. What does the old self was crucified mean? It means that my old pre-conversion, unregenerated self has now been put away. My old self is the me that was rebellious against God insubordinate to his law and blind to his glory. This old self was crucified with Christ. This is the whole message and import of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ died, God counted the old sinful me as dying with him. Now, because the old self was crucified with Christ, the body of sin has been done away. The body of sin is our old sin nature inherited from Adam. This sin nature has now been rendered inoperative deprived of its power, in order that I will no longer be a slave to sin. How can this be? Verse 7 gives the answer. For he who has died has been freed from sin. The original Greek meaning is, for he who has died has been justified from sin. How do we become justified from sin? The only way to be justified from sin is to receive the wages of sin. When a man is sentenced to a prison term, the only way he can be justified is if he pays the penalty of his crime by serving his prison sentence. After he serves his sentence, he is justified from his sin. We deserved to die for our sins. 
Christ became our substitute and died for us in our place. Through faith and baptism, we have become united with him, and because of that union, we have died and risen with him to live the life of a justified sinner, a life that is altogether new and transformed. Our old life is finished. We have died to it. Just as Christ now lives to love and obey his heavenly Father, so now we live to love and obey our heavenly Father. Think of it this way. Your life has two volumes. Volume one is the story of your old man, your old self, the me before your conversion. Volume two is the story of the new self, of the you after you were made a new creation in Christ. Volume 1 ended with the judicial death of the old self on the cross. Volume 2 started with your resurrection from the death of sin into new life. Your old life is finished. Your new life has begun. The third step in fighting the battle against sin is to reckon that these things are true. Reckoning is not pretending. It is not make-believe. It is realizing a true fact and laying hold of it. We must rehearse these truths and live in the good of them. We must keep saying to ourselves, Volume 1 has closed. I am now living in Volume 2. It is utterly inconceivable that I would reopen Volume 1. That's my old sinful way of life. I don't want to live that way anymore. God doesn't want me to live that way anymore. I want to live my new life in Christ by the Holy Spirit. I want to continue the process of justification and sanctification by cooperating with God and putting to death the sinful desires that lurk in my members. So, beloved, how do we walk in newness of life? We walk in newness of life by knowing that our old self was crucified with Christ and to reckon, to consider that this is really true and live on that basis. Reckoning is bringing your mind and will into alignment with this reality. Count this to be the truth about yourself. You died and rose with Christ. Seize this reality as who you truly are. Welcome and embrace this work of God and all it means for you as precious beyond all earthly things. Now comes the direct engagement with temptation. When sin sends deceitful Judas desires to tempt you to present your members as weapons of unrighteousness, prefer another ruler. Prefer God above sin. Verse 12 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. This means a deliberate choice. Choosing is finding one thing preferable to another. So we say no to the Judas-like sinful desires and say yes to God because his work and his ways and his promises are preferable. See God as preferable to the fleeting pleasures of sin. You are alive to God, and he looks preferable. If Satan attacks with deceitful desires, counter with desires of the good, the beautiful, and the true, that are eternal desires that will not let you down 
and that lead to everlasting joy. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, The child of God now is no longer buried in the grave of sin, but standing on our feet looking into the face of God. Therefore we reckon ourselves to be alive unto God. This is an unspeakable grace and goodness. Now it is necessary to offer a pastoral warning that goes with this passage. Professing Christians who trifle with these verses and claim they can continue to practice sin and still be a child of God are in danger. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If you are a true believer in Christ, God will not allow you to continue in the practice of sin, but he will pull you up. He may even strike you with illness. He may take away your loved ones. He may destroy your business and career plans. Hebrews 10 says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God loves you and has an eternal purpose for each of you in Christ, and he will ruin your hopes and prospects and goals and plans in order to bring you back to himself. The prodigal son strayed for a time. But he came back to his senses and repented and turned to God. So must every true child of God. Beloved, we must remember that the stupendous project of the Christian life is to be what we really are in Christ. I repeat what we learned last week from C.S. Lewis. Listen to these wonderful words. The Christian idea of putting on Christ or dressing up as a son of God is what it means to be a real son of God. Putting on Christ is not one of many jobs a Christian has to do. It is the whole of Christianity. Christianity offers nothing else at all. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over your whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Listening friends, this is glorious good news. In Christ, you are no longer under the power and dominion of sin. You are given a whole new life, transformation in Christ. Now each day, each new day, we live into that transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now each day we die to our passions and sinful desires. Now each day we awake from the slumber and distraction of this world and put on Christ. Now each day we lift up our eyes to the Lord and cry out for His strength, His grace, and His mercy. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.
You've been listening to Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. <laughs>